Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Kafar Cast. Frank here with Aaron Snyder across from me on the mic. We got a very special guest today, the three by four muley slain fool, James Yates. What's going on, James? How's it going, guys? Apparently, I know only how to kill big three by fours. <laughs> you just uh, you just got back from uh, the Utah opener. You got a. Wow, what did you call your first the first big three before Triclops? It was this Triclops version number two. Uh, yeah. So this one I'm just calling the Whitetail Buck because he's got a Whitetail frame, three by four with cheaters and eye guards. How long have you been after that thing? As far as like you've been following it around all summer? Or? Yeah. So I didn't personally see him um, the last few years, but he's been up there. Um, and maybe I did see him, but he just didn't, you know, register on my radar, and I, I didn't really remember. But, uh, yeah, in early early July, I kind of start scouting from longer distances and glassing a bunch of drainages from longer distances, and I caught a really faint glimpse of a, what looked like a really wide buck. And the deer here started growing really late. Uh, he didn't – he wasn't uh, – anywhere near to showing what he truly was, but he looked like he had a lot of potential. He looked like he was just laying flat. And I was like, man, that buck looks really good. So I talked to a friend um, who I knew had started running some trail cameras in the area. This was, this is in the opposite side of a drainage that I'd been hunting for quite some time. Um, so I called him, him up. This is a really close friend that we kind of always share our information anyway. And he started, uh, he went up and checked his trail cameras about the same time that I went back up a couple of days later to get a much closer look. And I found the buck and, uh, sure enough, he was, he was pretty good already. He was wide and, uh, we decided to keep tabs on him. And, uh, yeah, so that was mid to early, early to mid July. And since then we, between the tie and I, we ran like, Oh, I don't know, six or seven trail cameras for him. And I went up glassing at least once a week from then on out looking for him. Didn't see him every time. Um, and yeah, the opener went up with my dad. He helped me glass and Saturday, the opener, he, he kind of just stayed in a really thick undergrowth area with, with, with an aspen thicket. Pretty much just stayed in that all day. Oh, it was unhuntable. We didn't even try to pursue. Um, then Sunday morning I woke up, my dad was glassing for me. He did, he couldn't find him. So I, um, I kind of looked in some little, little Canyon ravines that he couldn't get a good look and ended up turning him up. And between the wind and the other bucks he was running with, didn't, couldn't get a chance to get on him, uh, Saturday or excuse me, Sunday morning, I closed the distance to 118 yards there was a really stiff west wind and he was feeding into it. So I couldn't cut him off to get in front of him. And the Wasatch where I killed him is kind of like the mortal combat of hunting. You had to deal with an insane amount of pressure. And, um, it's also really thick. Our mountains don't not like, they're not quite as tall as the Colorado mountains. So they don't get above timberline. So all the deer generally bed and really thick stuff. So it's not really conducive to putting a deer to bed and trying to stalk in because they're just going to go bed in some fixed stand of timber. So a lot of the name of the game is ambush hunting. So I couldn't quite cut him off. Uh, and I wasn't going to take a 118 yard shot at a deer. deer. So, uh, uh, I let it, I let it, let it pass. 
we had some, I've got a, a new son, a six month old and a three, a three year old at home. So I bombed off the mountain. My, my, th- my six month old is having teeth, getting teeth and, uh, starting to get a, was starting to get a fever and my three year old was going crazy. So I came down to help my wife that, that day went out to breakfast and whatever and went back up, went back up that evening with my buddy Ty. Um, he was glassing for me now. I, he, I put him in a spot where he could see where the buck had, uh, had kind of bedded up and he, he turned him up and we kind of made a plan and tried to let it develop being patient. And the buck wasn't really following the plan that we had kind of hoped he would. So I decided to get aggressive and try to cut him off in the little area he was feeding. So I ran up the ridge. There was like 15 minutes of light left and there was a, a thicket of tree. I was sitting in a saddle. And so I ran up the ridge. Um, there was a thicket of trees that he was kind of in and it looked like he was going to feed through them. And sure enough, he did. And he was on the original trail that, uh, that I'd seen him on that morning. So I knew exactly where, where he was going to go and cut him off. Uh, took a, a fairly long shot and, uh, hit him good. And, uh, we waited an hour and went up and looked at the blood. The blood was fantastic. The only, uh, set, setback of the night was about 150 yards into the blood trail. He decided to double back. And at night in the dark, we couldn't see that. My, my buddy Ty and I. So we, we decided to back out. The blood was really, really good. And then all of a sudden it stopped. That's all we knew. And then I went back up that next morning with Jaron. He decided to come up and help me. Within about, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes, he, he, he too couldn't find any blood. So he backed up like 50 yards or so up the blood trail and just started following it and, uh, ended up finding this alternate path. And sure enough, 60 yards from where we stopped that night, he, he was piled up dead in a bed underneath a pine tree. But I, as I walked up to him, I had no idea. He's got a really, he's an older deer, probably six and a half, seven and a half years old. Um, he's been known as a, you know, fairly large buck for the last four years. And I imagine he was at least three and a half before that. So, um, I walked up on him and I could not believe how, how much mass and how big his bases were. There's something about that deer that I don't know if it's his width and the fact that he carries his mass through to his tips and just his body size, but nobody, nobody I know that I've since talked to that actually saw that deer knew how much mass he had. He's got like 40 or 40 and a change inches of mass, um, five, six inch bases. It's a really, really sweet deer. And that was just a pleasant surprise to walk up to that. I'm not, I'm no, no score junkie, but, uh, you know, I'm always going to try to pursue the biggest deer I can, but at the end of the day, I, I like to see stuff die. So I'm, I'm not the pickiest guy. So to be able to connect and, you know, within a couple of weeks of the season, I'm going to be reducing my standards and swinging about anything. Cause I generally have a lot of out of state hunts planned and just got to, just got to start being successful. So walking up on a deer like that, not being a very picky hunter, it, it was, it was magical. Man, I, I bet. And I, I guess uh, as we're talking about your deer, we should probably have introduced you. I didn't even think about it uh, as uh, what we're supposed to talk about on this podcast, which James Yates, the uh, 
inventor of the ADAC vinyl harness, which we totally fucked that up. But uh, as James told that story, James did um, invent that vinyl harness. And uh, I figure I better mention that before we get going too, too far. Um, but that is not the first big buck you've killed on the the Wasatch. And uh, I guess, was that harness something uh, just from lacking while you were hunting on the Wasatch and just kind of thinking as you're sitting there battling all the other hunters, concocting stuff up in your brain? Keep in mind, everyone, uh, James is an engineer, so he overthinks everything to begin with. So, uh, but how kind of, how did it kind of come about? Yeah, good, good segue. Um, so in uh, 2000, in 2014, I had a couple experiences hunting the Wasatch in late November and one in December that led me to needing to develop a, uh, an option for my rangefinder on my chest. I had a, in a blizzard day. So, so quick introduction to the, the extended. It's a general tag that maybe 2000 people get the tag for in, in the early season. Then once mid September rolls around, anyone with a valid tag in the state of Utah, can hunt the extended archery. So literally the mountains above Salt Lake City, I'm not, this is not a joke. These 10,000 plus hunters, September through November. Um, it's, I can't even imagine a place that has more hunting pressure. The deer are high, extremely pressured, highly knowledgeable, and it ends up being like the mortal combat of hunting. Um, so the deer are highly sensitive to movement and noise and in November, after the deer had been pursued all year long, I was up chasing a 185 typical good, just really good forks, really good buck. And I had four opportunities on him that day. It was a wide out blizzard. Typically you find that the best days to go hunt on the Wasatch front are the days when nobody else wants to go up. So I was chasing this buck around in Aspen thicket. Um, I started, I've hunted all my life with a rifle. Uh, we drew Wyoming as often as we can and as often as we could and, and hunted rifle in Utah. Then at 13, I, I made the switch. I was a fairly competitive rock climber and kind of sustained a couple of injuries. And in 2013, needing a different hobby to really focus on, I, I, I switched, to, totally changed directions and started bow hunting. So in 2014, it was my second year bow hunting. So I wasn't the most knowledgeable kid, but I did know how to hunt. I did know where deer were. I was in fantastic conditioning and I was chasing this uh, 185 buck and had multiple opportunities on him in these uh, in this, this Aspen thicket I missed a couple of shots a couple of shots I didn't get off because the deer spooked mostly because my rangefinder was either in my pocket or I was carrying it around in a different um, rangefinder pocket that I had mounted on my my bino harness that was open to the open to the sky. So it was constantly getting filled with snow. And anyway, long story short, I never ended up killing the buck. And I was just so frustrated at the rangefinder. I was just so frustrated. It was either in my pocket and I couldn't pull it out in the time of need, or it was in my, it was on this little, I can't, I think it was called a crooked horn. I can't even remember, but it was open to the atmosphere. It was open to the atmosphere. Snow was getting in it. So that was extremely frustrating. The season ends. I don't fill, fill my bag. 2013, my first year bow hunting, I killed a really tall three point, killed a, my very first bull elk ever, never hunted elk before, killed a five by five raghorn. Uh, so 14 was pretty much a big letdown after having a really successful 2013. 
Um, fast forward about a month to the middle of December, I was pursuing elk uh, and uh, was in the saddle. It was really, uh, the snow had crusted over, it had gotten really cold and was really slick. And this bull was working his way through the oak brush, which is thick as hell. And I kind of ranged a, a few predefined locations that I thought he was going to come through. The animals generally, unless they're being pursued, won't go straight through the oak brush because it's so thick. So ranged these spots, set my rangefinder down on the snow beside me so I had immediate access to it, and it slid down the mountain. So no rangefinder. Bull comes in, of course, further back than anticipated. I suck at, I still suck at, at, at guessing yardage. I'm, I've gotten a lot better, but definitely no Aaron Snyder with that. And uh, guessed him, guessed the wrong range shot, and I zippered him right underneath the brisket. Got very little blood arrow didn't even penetrate the body cavity and that was the end of 2014 so 2015 summer of 2015 and that spring i kind of drawn a mock-up of what i wanted uh what i kind of figured would work for a rangefinder pouch and how to uniquely attach it to the bina harness i was using at the time and my wife and i set out and sewed it up um gave it some good structure a hood and it's Pretty much a spitting image of what you see now is the ADAC rangefinder pocket. It attached to the bino harness in a different way, but it was, it was it attached quite effectively. And it was just a more crude version of what everyone sees today in the ADAC. And uh, I went out hunting in 2015 with that. And kind of the segue that you led into that, um, Aaron, 2015, I had a pretty special year. I found again in early July a a 34 inch, and when I found this buck this time he was fully grown. So he was he he'd started early, and then uh, I called this buck Triclops. He was a big three by four, uh, 30 near 35 inches wide, 34 and some change. Um, and I scouted him. I w- I didn't have kids at that point, so I don't know. I scouted him 10 to 15 times that summer. Ended up learning his patterns quite well. Uh, a week into the hunt, I was on an ambush. I, I, uh, I was trying to ambush the deer. There were some other hunters up hunting, two of which were, we were kind of sharing a battle plan and we alternated stocks. Anyway, we, we couldn't get in on him and the deer was getting, when the other guy was stalking, the deer was getting a little, uh, a little frustrated at some of the movement of the other deer, which was caused by the hunter and, I tell you, he was getting agitated, so I kind of positioned myself on an escape route, and um, I had him at 98 yards below me for like 40 minutes, and decided not to take a shot. And I was kind of blessed for that. He he came, he'd had enough, and came working up this trail towards me, and entered some jack pines. And there were multiple trails in the jack pines, so I didn't know where he was going to pop out. So kind of testament to the ADAC in its original form, what it was intended to do. As soon as he emerged from the stunted pines, he had maybe 15 yards before he was going to be over this ridge and out of sight. Um, so I, I, I had my rangefinder quickly accessible, ranged him. I don't even think I put the rangefinder back in the pouch. I think I just dropped it and let the lanyard catch it. And I, he wasn't, he wasn't trotting. He was just on a, on a slow walk, just trying to, just getting out of the basement, basin. I actually took a, uh, he was moving. I took a little, I took a moving shot. It was like 50 something yards. Let him, he wasn't going too, he wasn't going fast at all. And, uh, put it just in front of his, just in front of his chest. 
and released and ended up just 12 ringing him, hit him pretty, pretty much square in the heart, a slight quartering two angle. And, uh, people can go on the Instagram and see the buck or, or the shot. He, he ended up dying like on his feet within seconds, rolled down the mountain. And that was my first big buck, second archery kill and pretty magical experience in that, that rangefinder pouch was just made all the difference. Then later that fall in October, I was hunting elk. Elk on the Wasatch Front are even harder than the deer because there's fewer of them. And um, I uh, had another ambush opportunity, elk feeding from the sunny side to the to the north side. I was positioned in an ambush ambush point, a narrow gap between the trees. Elk started piling through. Uh, ranged ranged one of the lead cow had immediate access to my bino or my my rangefinder ranged uh bull followed like was the third one through and uh was able to get a quick range shot made a really good shot on him killed him and uh ended up being a like a 330 class bull and uh that that was basically the close of my archery season that year and i at that point i was just like for guys that that can't you know judge yardage in the field all that well immediate access to your rangefinder is just paramount and the dichotomy between the, the season prior and then this season was all was just completely different so that was uh, 2015 so i kind of the end of 2015 rolling into 2016 i did uh i kind of had some buddies that told me that i needed to try to market the idea and i didn't have the money to kind of do it at the time so i kind of went around and talked to different people Aaron, you had given me some good advice. I remember Tim, Tim Burnett, solo hunter, had given me some good advice and ended up settling on, uh, well, not settling, ended up, uh, being pretty optimistic about partnering with Kendall Card, um, who's a pretty great guy and the owner of, uh, Camel Fire and Black Ovis in 2000. That was early 2016. Kind of brought him the, the rangefinder idea and, to, and how it uniquely attaches to the bino harness. And we kind of discussed at first, a universal rangefinder pouch that would mount to almost every harness with this kind of clever little system that I had devised for attaching it to bino harnesses. And Kendall loved the idea. I remember going out to lunch with him and him just immediately being like, yes, I want to do it. And so we, we met with his professional prototyper and like two meetings in the prototyper, he he's like the general store manager for an REI here in Salt Lake. So he knows products. He's like, you know what? I really think that you guys need to need to come out with the full the full get up. You know, I'm not. I think you still need to do this universal rangefinder pouch, but um, you need to come up with the full get up. Well, in the meantime, that winter before we had met, I had been working on a, a, a design for a bino harness, kind of sketching things up, you know, CAD software by hand um, of what my ideal bino harness would consist of. You know, its features one-handed operation, dead silent, stays open, flips forward, yada, 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 can hold accessory pockets, can be minimal, but can hold accessory pockets. Um, so after that meeting, I kind of explained to them what I had in mind. Um, so I went, I went home and over the next couple of weeks, I built a prototype. It wasn't to the same quality as the, the original rangefinder pouch, but it was enough to communicate the idea to the, the prototyper, brought it in for our next meeting. And 
we kind of discussed the, the finer points of how it was intended to open and close and operate. And so that was kind of the birth of the, the ADAC. Obviously, it wasn't called ADAC at the time. So the prototyper, we went back and forth on the connection, the fine-tuning my, my original idea, and then we ultimately settled on the Velcro wings being, you know, a very robust design that would allow the attachment of many different accessory pockets while providing the structure that we needed so that the, the pockets weren't, you know, loosely connected or flimsy. And so we iterated on that ADAC harness for like, well, that was early 2016 and it came out in 2019. So three years. Um, some of that was waiting for, uh, obviously factory production. So call it two and a half years. And in that time period, people would be kind of be dumbfounded. The original design did not change very much at all in those two and a half years, but we were, we worked with two different manufacturers. The first one, we couldn't quite get the design what we how we wanted, so we started working with the second. And really, in two and a half years, we worked on I don't know 15 different prototypes. The casual observer wouldn't be able to tell the difference between any of them. And uh, we were just we were working with really fine details, making sure that you know the harness stays open, that that doesn't introduce any noises. Uh, I've had some other harnesses that kind of collapse in on themselves. Uh, so it can be hard to get your binos back in. So the design points of the ADAC, you know, for people who are curious about it, I, I think, in my opinion, it's the quietest harness on the market. It, uh, the face fabric is Kendall with his uh, fabric connections. He was the one, his group of guys, they did uh, core four element. So he's got pretty good fabric connection. He went down to Long Beach and searched through, you know, where a, football field warehouse size warehouse and couldn't find a fabric that that uh that we wanted he brought back a whole bunch of samples and so we ended up having the fabric made um to to our specification and liking and i think we've come up with a really custom really nice extremely quiet fabric um got a fleece backer and then we you know we fine-tune the details to make i mean i we could do we could do a two-hour podcast simply about the design of the ADAC. There are features in it that the casual observer won't know. There's a kind of hard to explain, but that piece that goes around the front of the pouch, that little piece of plastic that's got its, uh, it's going to, it's got its own little slot that goes around the circumference of the, of the pouch. That, that piece is actually made to come out and it can be replaced with, uh, with, um, with Kydex or even the, the ASB that's in it right now will mold a little bit, but that piece can come out to, uh, to mold to the shape of your binos. Um, it, it works better. It works better with Kydex than the ASB that's in it. Um, ASB was used to, we figured that 90% of the users, 95, 99% of the users wouldn't, wouldn't do this. So we, Ended up using ASB instead of Kydex because Kydex is expensive. Um, but for the advanced user that wants to kind of tailor the shape of the ADAC vinyl harness pouch itself, we'll eventually have a, a video out on this. And you, you can, there's a piece of hypalon in the corners of the pouch where the bungee cord from the hood goes through. And there's a little slot opening there where that, 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 uh, you know, half inch piece of plastic can pull out and uh, you can replace it. 
you can you can heat that up a little bit and bend it. The ASD won't bend very well, but like I said, you can go buy a piece of Kydex, cut it to the same dimension and bend it to whatever shape you want and put it back in. And the idea behind that was, you know, there are different prism prism designs. You know, some of them have protrude, protrude more uh, than others, and uh, we wanted the ability for, you know, all, all makes and models to fit securely so they're not rubbing and creating noise. Again, the fundamental idea of the ADAC is to be extremely silent. It, so to, to be extremely silent, to be fully functional, one-handed operation, fold forward. Um, and uh, I, think, I think we accomplished all those things. There's a whole bunch of those little details that we iterated on. The hood, the hood is designed in such a way where there's openings in the sleeve where the bungee cord goes up and through. Um, those openings are are were made that way so that the bungee cord can be easy, easily replaced if it were to ever wear out um, in the future. So that if people haven't seen the ADAC, it closes up and over a back panel and keeps closed based on vertical tension in that bungee cord. So there are no magnets. There, there, there are. There is nothing to create sound. The fabric itself is very quiet. I'm a trail runner. Uh, it stays closed as I trail run. The accessory pouches with the the wing system is uh, is quite robust. The other thing about that, shout out to Kafaru um, on the wing on the wing system for the accessory pouches. That's kind of uh, inspiration from Kafaru. I love the the modularity of your guys' packs. The uh, your ability to deck it out or run it minimalist, Spartan as you want. And I wanted the same idea in the Bino harness. Um, with different accessory pouches that the world is, is going to see probably this coming winter. They're, they're in production. You guys have a couple of the, the GP pockets we're calling them or possible pouches, but there are other pouches that are, that are coming. A larger one to hold like a Garmin inReach. Um, there's a phone pocket. There's, um, a, a pretty clever pocket for bear spray. If we, if the summer wasn't as busy as it was and, and, uh, Obviously now we're into hunting season. I've got a working prototype of a gun holster, sidearm holster that, that'll mount to it. Um, but it, it's, it's the furthest out. Um, anyway, so drawing from, drawing from Kafaru and the modularity of the Kafaru system, bringing that to the vinyl harness world, the guys who want to run it minimally can, the guys who want to deck it out can. By the time, if you've got range finding binos, like, like what you run, Aaron, and, and you're shooting a compound bow, so you got good clearance. You can throw two of the big pouches on the ADAC, and this thing will have twice as much storage capacity as any other harness on the market while still being pretty low profile. The guys who want to run it minimally don't need to run anything. There's two, two sleeve pockets on the front of the ADAC that'll hold diaphragms and wind indicator. They're designed to be tight so you don't lose, so you don't lose that stuff. Sky's the limit with the harness, and it's it's pretty cool to see it out in guys' hands and see people using it. So, gotcha. So, do you um, uh, are you kind of just there's a way it sounds, just kind of leading up, like Kindle's kind of taking control over all the the major stuff, and then you just handle the design side of things with him now, right? Kind of from here on out, I guess. Yeah. So yeah. So I so so financially, I didn't I didn't have the capital to be able to invest in this myself. And Kendall's a good friend, and I knew that he was going to be able to to do better justice to the product 
than me trying to source all of this stuff on my own. So that's off the Kendall. Um, you know, the, the, the product wouldn't be what it is, although the design has, has changed very little from, from my original design, the finer points of the design, the fabric, working with this prototyper, everything that Kendall brought to the market. I think the harness would be more expensive without Kendall. Um, it's a very intricate piece to sew. I mean, extremely intricate, um, but it leads to a pretty simple design for the user. Yeah, so I, I partnered with him. He more or less now, he owns the design, and I, I, I earn royalties on every sale. Yes, I, I am, I'm still very much part of the design. The, the, I, I, I basically work with our prototyper with input from Kendall as we meet to kind of come up with the accessory pouches and, um, you know, the, the ultimate design of the, of the harness. Gotcha. Well, yeah, we, we definitely like it. Um, you know, the, the, the possibles pouch or whatever was a one thing that we, you know, we're, wanting or concerned with just because we wanted to carry that stuff with us so i think people you know in february when that comes out or january whenever you know they'll like it a lot of guys i've told like if they're worried about it just double up on rangefinder pockets and you can run your uh, survival stuff in one and your rangefinder in the other one it works that way because that's what i did initially but um yeah and i i know like it's interesting to me on the harness side of things you know kind of from the outside looking in um it, uh, you know, people have bugged us a lot to make a, a harness, right? I mean, it, but it's pretty hard to not, you know, to come out with what, I mean, there, there was, there's been harnesses on the market forever that open from the front. There's been harnesses on the market forever that have pockets and different, you know, different actual shoulder straps and things like that. And so, you know, I think what you did is, is, uh, pretty original um in the sense of the total package combined i mean what it looked like to me when i got it is there was parts and pieces of originality parts and pieces from you know just by default that other people had had on the market which you just can't you can't help i mean it's a bino harness that holds a binocular but all of it combined was um something i hadn't seen before and pretty freaking unique so you know when i got it i was like huh shit, I think that's going to work. Um, you know, and, and you don't, again, you, you know, you, all of them have weak and strong points, you know, but the one that, that with the ADAC, the one thing is, you know, the total package, it's got a little bit of everything that I had been looking for. So I, I was excited about it. And, and the material being quiet is a pain in the ass to do. I mean, we looked into it, you know, which you knew in years past, and it's, it's difficult to find a quiet, relatively durable material um you got to look pretty freaking hard so whether if that sounded like that was kindle that probably found that that's good on him for doing that yeah what one one thing uh, as you had mentioned aaron um you know durability versus quietness you know knowingly the adac the adac there are compromises in everything right you can't have the ultimate dura the ultimate durability ultimate quiet you know durable fabrics are inherently not quiet. Um, I think the ADAC brings a very good compromise to the extremely quiet, but pretty durable fabric. I've not, wo- I've not worn a harness out and I, I have five to six hunts a year hunt extremely aggressively. I'm hard on gear mountain hunting and I've not worn, you know, I've not worn the fabric out on any of the harnesses that I've used. Um, so, you know, is this going to, is this going to be the end all harness? 
everyone needs to buy this one. Well, I think so, but everyone's going to have their opinions and what, you know, what they, what they like and don't like. What's the beauty of the ADAC is people are going to be able to customize it to exactly what they, what they want. It provides extremely good protection from the elements. What one thing, one question that's come up and maybe I'll resolve this on the, on the podcast here because you guys have a big platform. The people will notice that the rangefinder pouch does not have a back panel that comes all the way up like the, the, like the bino pouch does. The reason for that is the rangefinders come in many shapes and sizes. And based on the, the stories that I told earlier, um, it was paramount. I mean, one of the most paramount design points of the ADAC is that you have immediate quick access to the rangefinder pouch. And because that back, because the rangefinder pouch is set off to the side and it doesn't have dedicated up straps, when we, we had an iteration where the back panel came up higher. In fact, I iterated on it and where the hood closes up and over the back panel, just like on the bino harness. It, it didn't lend to easy in and out of the rangefinder, so we chopped it. We chopped that back panel down, and now it it comes up and over, and uh, more or less sits sits on. It covers the objective, the uh, it covers the ocular, the the lenses of the of the rangefinder pouch, and comes to within I don't know, depending on the size of the rangefinder, comes to within an inch of of that back panel. And the reason why we did that again was it was intentional. A lot of people have asked why that, why that doesn't come and close on itself. And that's 100% to, to make it easier to get the, the rangefinder in and out quickly it, while, while providing the coverage for the, the lens or the, the viewport that was necessary to protect it from the elements. Um, 90% of the time, you know, it's on my harness, it's tethered. And if I'm on a stock, those hoods of both the binos and the rangefinder pouch are folded forward and stay open. Um, but in November or whatever, if you're hunting in the rain or snow, the, the manipulation of the hoods on those, on the bino harness and the, on the bino pouch and the rangefinder pouch are so quick and easy and silent that once you, once you do it a couple of times, it becomes second nature. And even in a quick situation when it's precipitating, you can have those harnesses, those hoods down and be using your rangefinder or binos in a, in a, in a fraction of a second. Gotcha. Yeah. I, um, just screwing around with it. We, you know, initially pretty much tested it on the 3d course, just kind of simulating more or less as far as, you know, the potential issues and problems that you normally will have. And, and, uh, other other than running a big rangefinder, because um, there is a couple that do not fit in that pocket overly well. Um, standard rangefinders, uh, there is no issue whatsoever. Same with binoculars. Pretty much any set of eights or tens, whether they're standard binoculars or or rangefinding binoculars, fit in the the harness fine. Um, so yeah, I, I I haven't found too many issues. I don't know, Frank, have you? No, I like it. I think the biggest thing for me that I liked is the the versatility so as a standalone it's it's very streamlined which we kind of talked about before it works awesome for something like a antelope hunt where you're not leaving the the truck too far or alberta yeah alberta where you don't need necessarily need that accessory pouch for all your all your possibles and then 
when you're on the backpack hunts, um, you can just add that accessory pouch and you can throw all, all the stuff that you, that you want with you um, when you're pretty far away from camp or, you know, what have you. So that was my favorite part about it is just the, the versatility. And it's kind of nice having, having something that's streamlined like that to, as compared to some of the other harnesses on the market where it seems like you're wearing a small backpack on your chest instead. So, um, yeah, I, I really enjoy the design and I, I like a lot of the features that are involved with it. And James has always supported Kefaro really, really well. So wanted to, to show the appreciation back and, and support James. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been good working, you know, both ways as far as that goes. But uh, we're working on 45 uh, minutes here, so I want to make sure before I forget, because it's not like they can go to James Yates and get the harness. Where can people find the harness? Where can they, you know, find you? Look, look at what you've done, some of the deer you've taken, and uh, and then again purchase the harness. So the harness right now is sold at sometimes. Kendall and the guys at Black Ovis Camel Fire will run it on Camel Fire for like a hundred bucks. It's uh, sold right now, or you can always find it at uh, blackovis.com under ADAC. There is a website, you know, there's some growing pains of starting a new brand. So there will eventually be a website up and running for ADAC. Um, I think it'll be adachunt.com. Um, but right now it can be purchased at Black Ovis. I think it retails 150 for both the rangefinder pouch and the bino harness. It's um, also going to be entering select shield stores. I'm not sure which ones, and there are future plans for a few other retailers as well. But right now, uh, online at blackovis.com. And then uh, my my uh, you know I have a social media platform, uh, James Yates on Facebook, Instagram. I go by Yates underscore and underscore the underscore backcountry. Yates in the backcountry. Um, I'm pretty busy with young kids and, and, and my work, but I do try, I do get a fair amount of messages and I do try to respond to them. So if it takes a little bit, it's most likely gone to my, you know, need a, needs approval messages category on Instagram. So I, I check that frequently, but sometimes, especially now going into the hunting season, it may not be that all that frequently. Gotcha. Well, cool. Well, yeah, everyone, hopefully, you know, check out, um, you know, the ADAC harness, I think everyone's going to like it. And then, um, yeah, definitely don't ask us questions. Ask James um, about the harness. But uh, either way, man, we really appreciate you hopping on here. We really like the harness. And, uh, and yeah, definitely congratulations on the, the buck you just uh, harvested. No, I'm just fucking with you. The buck you killed. That thing's badass as well. So, and, uh, you know, you can hop on James' social media page to look at that deer. So, yeah, man, we appreciate everything. Yeah, man, I appreciate you guys. You guys are uh always done you know really right by me i love the kafar the kafar brand uh the shelters the packs i've run those for i think it's been my fifth season and you about drove me fucking crazy the first season i remember that you are uh an engineer and very anal retentive with your gear i do remember that (laughs) yeah 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 i am i so i mean i i'm the type of person that i'll you know i'll customize my stuff and just want to make sure i get things dialed and i remember having conversations with you you know, about my back profile and, um, you know, ultimately, uh, the modularity that you guys have in your system and your, in your, uh, you know, in your stays and having different molds and it's almost kind of like the last of a boot. I mean, you guys have different stays that'll fit different back profiles. And, you know, once we got connected with the right stays, man, that thing was just molded for my back. And I have done some pretty heinous packouts with a Kafaru and it, it's much happier with that than 
any of the other dozen packs I've run in my hunting slash climbing career, if you will. Cool, man. Well, yeah, we appreciate it. Well, man, if we don't talk to you, good luck this season. And uh, definitely let's link back up and uh, when the season ends and see how uh, that's settled. Yeah, sounds good. All right, man. Take it easy. Thanks, James. Thanks, guys. Yep. Bye-bye.